America is one of the northernmost places currently inhabited by people. It is hundreds of miles north of the Arctic Circle, <clears throat> and as a result, of course, it has some of the most extreme winters in the world. The sun set over the horizon there one day this past November, not to rise again for 65 days. Kind of makes our 10 hours of Geneva Gray seem luxurious by comparison, right? I read a little bit about this village this past week in an article about how people cope with winter. We've just crossed the longest night of the year, of course, and this article was looking for wisdom from a variety of sources for making it through this season of cold temperatures and reduced light. And who better to ask than the people from way up north? Roy Nagayak Sr.'s family has lived in this region around Utkiagvik for hundreds of years. And when asked about how they cope with this long season of darkness, he talked about telling stories. Every winter, he says, families would get together and tell these stories of who we are, where we come from, and they would share the wisdom and knowledge they have gathered for hundreds and thousands of years in the darkness of the winter. Telling stories to make it through the winter. The folks in Alaska are not alone in approaching the season this way. Lots of northern cultures have similar traditions for this time of year. We all know that winter can be difficult, and it seems there's something about the darkness and the cold that can not just leave us bored or stir-crazy, but also forgetful, that can leave us feeling aimless or directionless or unmoored. So it's a season for stories, and not just any stories, but the big ones, the ones that remind us who we are. You don't need me to tell you that this particular season we are in right now is dark in more ways than one. There's the usual darkness of a Geneva winter, and on top of that, we have the added darkness of the pandemic that has just cast a thick cloud over everything this past year. It is a doubly challenging season, a time when we can very well feel lost and aimless, a time when we can find ourselves forgetting our story. Which brings us to John. The beginning of John's gospel is made for times like this. It is a different sort of Christmas story, for sure. There's no little town of Bethlehem, no shepherds or wise men, no baby in the manger, even. But it is every bit as full of wonder and awe and joy. And at its heart, it means to remind us who we are. So who are we, according to John? Well, to begin with, we are part of a bigger story, a much bigger one. In the beginning was the word, starts, starts John, in the beginning. Those words probably sound like another well-known bit of scripture, and that's no accident. In the beginning are the first words of the book of Genesis, the first words of the whole Bible, the words that introduce God's creative activity, the wind moving over the face of the waters before there was even a glimmer of light or life. If you want to know about Jesus, says the Gospel of John, you need to go back, all the way back to the beginning. 
Jesus is not just some wise teacher whom you might learn a few things from, not just some talented healer who might help you out. He is God's own word, God's own speaking, God's intention and gift present from the creation itself. And the astounding news of Christmas is that that word became flesh. The boundless grace and wisdom and life of God became one of us. Ben and Riza read this so beautifully this morning. The incarnation, the enfleshment of God, is the hinge that everything else turns on. We are alive in the middle of this incredible story that began farther back than we can possibly imagine and has now opened into this new chapter in which the word became flesh and lived among us. The gospel means for us to glimpse something of the sheer wonder of this. We are living in the same world in which it all took place. And as much as it may look like we are each off on our own living our individual lives, we are actually part of this cosmic story of grace and truth with the incarnation at its center. I think it's sort of meant to leave us breathless with awe. So John starts by reminding us of that. We are people living in this great ongoing story. And he also tells us that we have a role to play. You can miss this in John's prologue. I mean, he never comes out and says, all right, now listen up. Here's your part. Here are your lines. But there is a character in the story who looks an awful lot like us. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. Now hold on, you might be saying. John was that wild-eyed prophet down by the river who wore funny clothes and ate bugs. How are we possibly like him? But we are like him, says this gospel, because we too have glimpsed the light shining in Jesus. We have seen his glory, it says. The glory is of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. In Jesus, we have seen the glory of God. In his words that can melt stony hearts. In his presence that can calm fearful spirits. In his grace that can open up new futures. In his calling that can challenge prejudice and overturn injustice. In all of it, we have seen God's glory. We have seen the light that shines in the darkness, and we've seen that the darkness cannot extinguish the light of love made known in him. That's all that John is, according to this gospel. Somebody who has seen that light beyond himself. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. That's what John was, a witness to testify to the light that keeps on shining in the darkness. And that's our part too. Because if we have seen this light, and the gospel assures us that we have, then we have a role to play, pointing to that light for others, no matter how dark the winter might be.
In her book from several years ago called Breaking Clean, Judy Blunt describes growing up and raising a family in the harsh and often unforgiving landscape of rural eastern Montana. This is a very sparsely populated area in the western United States. She describes windstorms and dry summers and terrifying wildfires. She makes it sound like an extremely difficult place to live. And she describes the night when her oldest daughter became ill with a dangerously high fever. She and her family lived 50 miles from the nearest hospital. And getting there involved a treacherous drive over unpaved roads that this winter had turned to foot-deep mud. They did everything they could to avoid making this drive. But when her daughter's fever hit 106 degrees, or over 41 in Celsius, she knew that they had to go. So they left in the middle of the night, and the roads were just as bad as they had feared. And they slogged along through the mud, hoping and praying for safe passage. But as they rounded a bend in the road, they found that word of their trip had gotten out to neighbors along the way. And these neighbors had gotten out of bed and driven cars and pickup trucks to the ends of their driveways and turned on their headlights on the road. So there was kind of one beacon after another shining on this dark stretch of road between their home and the hospital. The lights of each car would blink as they passed by, acknowledging them as they went like a nod, she said. Good luck. Safe journey. It has been years since I read that book, but that image of that drive at night has always stayed with me as a powerful one for what we can be for one another. These neighbors could not fix everything for the family at that moment. They couldn't bring the fever down. They couldn't make the road any smoother. But they could come near and show that the world was not all darkness. They could act as witnesses to the light. And you know, all those carols that you shared this morning, they're kind of like that. To see all of you sharing these songs that have been part of your Christmas celebrations for years. To see Maureen sharing the song that her mother woke her up with on Christmas mornings. And to see three generations of the Kupchus family singing and drumming together. It makes the road a little bit brighter for me. All of these songs are testimonies of faith. They are all pointing to this story of grace that has come into our world. And when you sing them for us, pointing to that light that keeps shining even in this doubly dark time, you remind us who we are. Friends, we are part of a great story, and we are witnesses. Witnesses to the inbreaking of love that can never be extinguished, light that can never be snuffed out, life that can never be defeated. God's everlasting song of hope goes on in Jesus, and we join in. Amen.